I went to the supermarket the other day on my way back from somewhere just to get mushrooms for our dinner. So I got a bag of mushrooms, plastic bag. Went to the, what's the word? It's not the caja? Uh, yeah, the, 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 the cashier. The cashier. So I went to the cashier. I only had a 500. Oh, no. Of course. Okay, of course. Right. Mushrooms were like 64 pesos. I did expect to have to wait. And I did have to wait. It was uh, actually, it was just five minutes. But he, the cashier said, well, yeah, I don't. I don't have change. Do you want to wait? So of course you waited. Yes, I waited, and two people after me. He had his four one hundreds and could give me my change. Now um, here, like I guess, is it still like that in the USA that you have people packing your bags? Yeah, I think so. it, it, a lot of grocery stores. That's the case. Yeah. Here they do that too. They unfortunately use plastic bags. And a lot of them. So I had this one plastic bag of mushrooms. And of course what happened was that the person packing the bags took my bag, plastic bag of mushrooms and put it in another bag. Right. Because that's what they do. Right, that's the customer. We of course, we're quick with saying, okay, we don't need a bag, it's fine like this. I know that's their job. That's how they make money. Very often we bring our own bag, uh, yeah. cloth bags or no, uh, I, I, more. I, I do the same thing and I have yeah. to empty out my cloth bag yes. onto the belt and launch before they have the opportunity to scan the first thing and, and take the bag. I have to launch my canvas bag yes. at them over the other person who is still paying. <laughs> Some have gotten used to us. <laughs> doing that some uh, have not yet um, it's sometimes they like it yeah. sometimes they think it's very good and they get their money even if they don't give us any blast plastic bags but if you don't do that if you don't bring your own bag they put if you just get a bar of chocolate they put it in the plastic bag of course get one can of soda plastic bag and if you have you no know, no if they they don't fill it up like they could more bags are better so that's something they can learn here. I don't. I wonder when that's going to happen. That somebody says in the government, or at least in the city government, uh, let's not have so many plastic bags anymore, and do something else. I mean, it was like this. Well, but I mean, but in other places but, before. But people here reuse. They, it's not like the plastic bags go entirely to waste. People reuse them quite a bit. I mean, I, I re whatever I have plastic bags. I always reuse. I have my tiny little garbage can. And I reuse the, uh, and I, I use them for the, the garbage that I have. Now, granted, I'm way ahead in my, pla I mean, in my plastic bags. I think I have maybe 10 plastic bags all in my, sort of wrapped, ready to use yes. my garbage can. So when the garbage fills up, sure. I, I take away and then there's another fresh one there. Oh, for, that's and, smart. Yeah. We should do that. That's how I, yeah. and, and I... I think I'm almost at the point where I've reused them all. Some, sometimes when I head to the grocery store and I forget my canvas bag, I, I end up with, okay. But I, I'm, I'm pretty ahead. I've been getting much, much better about it. Because that, that's actually a very recent thing in the US. I know in Germany they've been using reusable bags since forever. But um, So today is the feast of La Virgen de Guadalupe, the, the, Mexico, the patron saint of Mexico. December 12th. Right. And it's, it's, she's not even a 
patron saint. It's an image. I shouldn't say patron saint. I that that's the wrong term for it. Uh, I don't know what the right term in English for it is, but the the apparition of the Marian apparition that is the signature relic, for lack of a better term, of Mexico. See, uh, today have... today is today is her feast day, December fifteenth. It is the fifteenth, isn't it? Or is it the fourteenth? No, it's the twelfth. Twelfth? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yes, it is the 12th. I should know this because my flight is the 13th and I leave yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> it's the 12th. I think everybody's preparing for it, though. Maybe that's what it is. I'm getting all of my dates wrong. So it's uh, December 12th. This will be the fourth episode that we publish. At this moment, we are basically publishing uh, episode three. I, I have and to go home and write the summary for it. Yeah. Or I have to, when I get home write the summary for it whenever I get home if I don't just automatically collapse into bed then I'll think of something um, whoever got through that episode will have noticed that the audio quality was not as good as before and that's entirely my fault I think the content is good and also we did record our draft of why Mexico City rocks that was supposed to be at the episode 4 but for various reasons, the audio quality is not as good as I would have liked. And I'll try, I'll see what I can rescue of that and maybe publish it as a special episode next week after I had my four days of sun. Yeah. Oh, four, well, sun, we have sun uh, right. all the time. But four days at the beach. Four days of beach and heat. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to right we now. Sh we should record sort of an, an, an apologetic note before to play before that episode sure yeah so we, we could take something from that so we we apologize that this episode <laughs> of several ways to live is not at the standards of audio quality that we would have liked but we hope that you will enjoy what we were able to rescue from this episode anyway we also wanted to go to Xochimilco together and meet my friend Yashua and uh, ride the trajineras and have pulque and everything but we didn't because Yashua is an artist he's a singer and he got a show in Guadalajara last weekend and that's where he went and I was very happy for him um, life as an artist in Mexico is not any easier than in other places but you went to Xochimilco I saw I, that I, on I saw that on the internet yeah I, I went it, it wasn't not Hochimilco, Hochimilco, like Centro, not, yeah. not near the uh, Trajineras and the touristic part of Hochimilco. I went to San Gregorio, this little village that's at the foot of the volcano, whose name I can never pronounce correctly, but we'll, we'll leave it in the show notes. Popocatapetl. I'll, I'll let Which yeah. actually broke out a few weeks ago. Yeah. I saw that a couple days later on the internet. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a little village that used to be Chinampas, and most of what you go around on a traquinera looking around, they're what's left of the Chinampas of that zone. But all of the Chinampas dried out in that area as, they, as Mexico City and its thirst for water kept sucking. Actually, there are very large pumps for Delegacion Amistapalapa, not, not too terribly far away from there. And it was one of the areas, it was the worst area that I've seen post-earthquake. Every fifth lot was just another building collapse. Some of them had been entirely cleaned up. Some of them were still in various states of rubble. It, it, 
some of them had not been cleaned up really at all since since the earthquake people are still working on them and I went down there with a friend of mine from the Carpinteria one of the brigades from Alvaro Obregón that we've talked about endlessly just just to see what could be done or what we could do and he has some projects he has a project where he's going to have a small Christmas party and he's seeking donations of chocolate and toys and things like that to um, Rescatando Sonrisas is his project, Rescuing Smiles, uh, the kids there. Um, I actually stayed in a house that had that was propped up by various apuntalación um, cajas de vida, I don't even remember what the term is in English, but uh, just what that the structures in a state of partial, this building in a state of partial collapse that was marked as inhabitable, uh, he had basically was propping up the first story of it with wood on the inside to slow the process of collapse to make it habitable more of sort of a fact-finding tour and I went on Friday planning on doing things on Saturday and I've made the plans for Friday so on Saturday we were just walking around and we stumbled upon one building collapse where people from the INA the the National Institute of Archaeology and History and I thought that that's weird what are what are they doing here Turns out that building collapse was the local museum, was the city's museum that yeah. had many, many pre-Columbian artifacts. And they really had no idea how to get rid of all the rubble to dig and find these yeah. Colombian artifacts. And so we, Anarcos and I had a lot of experience in removing <laughs> rubble. And we just jumped in and started helping. And spent the day basically doing the same thing that we've been doing at Alvaro Obregón, shifting rubble, watching for watching as the because every collapsed building has its own structure to it and making sure that the building didn't continue or making sure that we were able to rescue what artifacts books notes records anything that we could while while removing the rubble and making sure that the rubble that was underneath didn't continue to collapse on what was underneath it and that i posted those things on the internet because that the thing about me posting the things that I do, if it's really sad, I don't post it. If it lacks hope, if it lacks a positive message, I just don't put it online. I don't like this whole disaster tourism thing. And even in that situation, I was essentially disaster tourist, but jumped in to help. It's still a little bit unresolved, which is why I'm a little reticent to, to speak about it. But the things that I was posting online were hopeful. Hey, we're saving these artifacts. And that's a, that's a hopeful thing to post. The fact that people were paying attention to this museum, to this little area, and were doing what they could to help save it, was, I thought, a positive thing. Most of the things that I do on a daily basis are not positive, and so I don't bother writing about it. I don't bother putting it online, because I... To me... It- you posting that serve the purpose of awareness, yeah? creating awareness that there's still places where people are working on this or people are suffering from the earthquake. That's now, I mean, how long ago was that? Two and a half months? No. Almost, no, if almost I, three. Almost three. So that's a good thing that you did that. Um, I know the INAH because they run all the archaeological sites uh, in Mexico. 
and we've visited quite quite a few of those, especially in uh, Chiapas and Yucatan, uh, mostly Yucatan. So, in, well, there are, it's three states, but the yeah. the, the peninsula of uh, Yucatan and uh, one in uh, Guatemala, but that is not INH. Because <laughs> it's not Mexico; it's Guatemala. No, yeah. Um, I want to set the scene, should have done that in the beginning, but we are again at a place that I begin to like very much. It's the Quentin Cafe. It's in Alvaro Abregon. It's next to the original Biscuits de Obregon. And if you ask any person in Mexico City who's been here for a while where the original Biscuits de Obregon is, they'll be able to tell you it's basically the corner of um, Alvaro Obregon and Merida. So you can just play the podcast for anybody. And so where's that? Exactly. And they have uh, awesome coffee that you really enjoy, mm -hmm. from what I see. And we've talked with some of the baristas uh, in the special episode um, that will uh, come to you soon, maybe, hopefully. And I think we're going to be here some more times. It's, it's a cool little spot to record. Yeah, and we're sitting outside, and the music is not that loud outside, and then, so it should be fine. Uh, another thing I want to mention is anybody who likes the logo of this podcast of this podcast is right to do so because it's I like it a lot, and uh, it was made it was created by my friend Angelica, um, who is a designer, and I think her best work is in logo design. Uh, corporate identity uh, and design uh, work and we've worked together on, on a lot of web projects and um, if you like that if you <laughs> want to hire her she does that she does it for money uh, go to I'll put a link in the show notes um, you don't remember the name you don't remember her website off the oh top yeah of I, I'm running it so it's Angelica Angelica dash Ramos punto com uh, dot com um, you'll find it. Yeah, so thanks, Angelica. So you're leaving tomorrow? Leaving Mexico City? Not for good, just for a little bit. You're going to the Congress, and I am not. But that's okay. Yeah, how do I, how do I go from there? What am I... I have all these exciting... I'm, I'm in the middle of destroying a croissant. A cold croissant for this cold Mexico City day trying to figure out what am I going to say about the 34C3 as I'm wearing the hoodie from whichever Congress zero-day suits was, I forget. I, it's slipped, just slipped back into memory. First time in Leipzig. Or how do you say Leipzig? How do people say... Leipzig. Leipzig, but... Leipzig. They don't... Aren't there different ways of saying it depending on where you come from in Germany? I can't say anything about East Germanists and how they would pronounce it. I have no idea. Leipzig is Leipzig. For me, it's the first time while I'm here that I actually have time to watch the the talks, which will be nice because we don't have anything to do this time, and we're not going to the beach this weekend. But that's then that's it. So I'm looking forward to that. Just relax at home. So we're talking about the 34th Chaos Communication Congress organized by the CCC, the Chaos Computer Club in Germany. This year 
for the first time in Leipzig, in the uh, Messe Leipzig. Now, you should maybe explain the difference between something like the CCH and a Messe Hall. Okay, the CCH, so there was the Congress Center in Hamburg, where the Congress was for the past few years, past five years, five, six. And they have, yeah, it's a Congress Center. They have large, what do you call that? Uh, Meeting rooms, auditoriums. Auditoriums, they have very large auditoriums. And now at Messe Leipzig, it's it's a, it's not a, what is it, Mess, mess Hall? No, Mess Hall is something different. No, Mess Hall, a Mess no, no, Hall no, no, is no. where soldiers meet. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just having fun looking at your face trying yeah, to come up I'm with trying to I know what the, I know what the English translation is but okay, okay, I'm just okay. enjoying watching you struggle through it. Okay. Um, well in Spanish it's feria. I have to assume in English it's fair. It's kind of close to fairground. Fairground? But not not the concept of a convention center in English is a little bit in, in the US anyway is a little bit funny. Mesa, I guess the closest translation would be trade halls. Okay. And even that's a very industry-specific term. It's just gigantic indoor space. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's gigantic indoor space, as opposed to the Seseca, which was, I think, two big auditoriums, hmm? like concert hall size, and, and several little breakout rooms rooms designed lecture halls there were auditoriums and lecture halls as opposed to the bcc the Ber- the berlin congress center which was a uh, i mean in, in as far as con- as far as convention centers go it's a, it's a smaller convention center yeah. with one very big auditorium and two smaller lecture halls the sesakha was two big auditoriums and several smaller yeah. lecture halls here there's Lecture halls, and then, <laughs> and then the auditorium that must be created from the ground up, which is why there's a blog post right now saying, oh, hi, we need people to come help set up. Please bring steel-toed boots and work gloves. And, oh, we can't give you a place to sleep. It's, it's a very German blog post. It's, you must come, help set up, but we cannot give you a place to sleep. It would be very nice if you came anyway. It's sort of, sort of reflecting... There, there's a there's a Slack-like application for those of you who don't know what Slack is. It's it's how do you explain Slack? It's the Slack is a messaging platform where there's various different, but it's designed for teams and businesses to do business and work and stuff. And so there's a open source version of it called Rocket Chat, which is what they're using. And even browsing through the Rocket Chat, it's it's not totally public, but it's not private. And watching the things happen on Rocket Chat, uh, translating from German to English, it's, it's very interesting. The mood going into the 34C3 is, is interesting. And that's the thing, it's in a brand new space. Yeah. The last time when they moved from the BCC to Hamburg, it was stressful, but not, not as stressful. And I think they had started the planning much sooner than this one. I think that was the 29 yeah. C3, right? Yeah, I was there 
And I, I just remember that it was really good and everything worked. Um, because all the facilities were there. Yeah. Just like in the yeah. BCC, all the yeah. facilities were there. It's a slightly different story. And that's the other thing is we're, it's an all-volunteer effort. And volunteer efforts for conferences that are in the multiple thousands of people it's a, it's a tricky it's a it, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky thing and it's a complicated time it's much these times are much more complicated than when they moved from berlin to hamburg i mean for a number of different reasons you didn't have how do i begin to explain the complexity of these times versus five years ago both in the global situation and in the situation in this hacker community if we can even still call ourselves a community I wish I could somehow put the weighting of my thoughts into the podcast in terms of do I go for the positive, saccharine, hopeful thing that I'm known for or do I start talking about the dark side or do I wander off into a different subject entirely and start talking about the new Star Wars movie because that's the first thing that came to mind when I said dark side. I want to hear both <laughs> things, or I want to hear the dark side because the good side, I know the good side, I think. I'm not sure what dark sides you it's like, do are I thinking go, about. Do I go Twitter or do um, I go Mastodon? Because I think mm -hmm. you, you very well, well know that okay. I, I, my Mastodon is very, very dark. That's where I go yeah. to, but to let out my existential Yeah, Mastodon of, is in general more open in any way but it's more closed because nobody sees it nobody no, it's, it's not that nobody sees it it's that it's a very small segment yeah. yes. of the community that monitors it that i trust okay. that, that i sort of trust implicitly that it's not as much as it is just another platform like twitter for you you toot on mastodon it's it's very similar in that way but i, I feel more comfortable because i It's a, and my Mastodon is not private. It's not locked down. Anybody can go look at it, but it's kind of it's darker than my Twitter, which I know is. I mean, I have a following, and I have people that read my Twitter and look at my or my tweets pop up in various different people's streams, and they see things. And I try to keep that light and fun yeah. and hopeful. Yeah. Mastodon's where I go dark. So do I go Twitter or do I go Mastodon? Okay, let's go Twitter. Well, for, let, let's start off with, you know, what were you going to say? I don't know if you've checked the download numbers of the first two episodes. That's really Mastodon. That's not Twitter. I haven't even promoted this on Twitter yet, and I don't... So I should, I should get to Nobody's that. listening yet? We should never say that, because the thing about <laughs> podcasts is that they live yeah, on. Yes, That people true. rediscover yeah. them all yeah, the time. Yeah, I want time. to encourage you to do the Mastodon thing now. Yeah. Oh, you're, you want me to go dark? I'm I'm worried. It's in a new place. I could say I have a new role, or I don't have my old roles. All of my old roles are gone. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of tension regarding harassment in the community of of all different kinds. So I'm going to teeter out on a limb because you asked me <laughs> to go dark. What a very appropriately timed interjection, random interjection from Alvaro Obrigo on the street, the street life. I don't think the Congress has really come to grips with its size. 
that's the starting point. Other big conventions of this, other big gatherings of people of this size have a recognized order to them. Well, the order of chaos events is unique in tune and of itself. I don't know of any other gathering of that size that's entirely a volunteer effort. I don't know of another gathering of that size that has managed to maintain a certain sense of order without ever having that order be elucidated beyond be excellent to each other. Yeah. In the days of the BCC, you, you saw everybody. It filled up at, I think, 2,000 people. A 2,000-person gathering and a 15,000, 16,000-person gathering are two totally different gatherings. It is easy to bring people into a community and teach people certain community norms in a 2,000-person gathering than in a 15,000-person gathering. And of course, right now, in the global zeitgeist, if I can even be allowed to say such a thing, we're coming to grips with a lot of toxic facets of the current social order. We're destroying the current social order in the hopes of building a new one. And this also affects gatherings like the Congress where certain facets, certain communities, certain areas of this thing have been very badly affected by this. Then you throw in the fact that it's a German event run by Germans in Germany and that the, the tendency, even since moving to Hamburg, has been, okay, now we're a global event, how do we tilt this back more towards Germany? Because it's our, because it's, yeah. it's a German event. Yeah. That the, the big vision of Tim Pritloves was to take this patently German event where the talks were in German and make it a global event. And now the pendulum has to shift back the other way. And a lot of this harassment in the zeitgeist you could say is a uniquely American thing. You could say that it's not uniquely American in the sense that yes, this kind of toxic, the, the toxicity in the communities exists to varying different levels depending on where you are. I don't know what misogyny is like in Germany compared to the United States. I haven't experienced it as such. I mean, even my, even my particular harassment incident, was, it was two Americans that happened to be in Germany. The standard procedure, having a code of conduct, having an enforcement mechanism, sort of setting up this, what its detractors would call a thought police, is not something that I think would function well at a chaos event. And I think that's a controversial stand to take being a relatively famous victim of a particular harassment incident, it's a fairly controversial stance to take. Okay, so if the standard option isn't going to work, and the, the thing about chaos events, the standard option going from a 2,000-person volunteer-run event to a 15,000-person volunteer event, the standard option would have been to professionalize it. You have a team of people who work year-round and whose job it is to set up the event, whose job it is to run the event, to make all of the contacts, and to give those people a salary and I don't know how well known it is, but the people who currently run the Congress would rather the Congress not happen than see it turn into a professional event. Okay. As far as I know, this could have changed, but that's, that's how I, as far as I know, that's still the case. 
And so the standard option is not going to work. So what do you do? And I was talking about this, ironically, on Mastodon. I don't know if you saw it. But that there has to be a rededicated effort on the part of the community to step up as individuals when they see harassment happening. And the problem with that is that you have to shut down your friends. You have to shut down the people that you look up to. Because a lot of the, a lot of the heroes, a lot of the people who you look up to, the organizers, the movers, the shakers, the people who do things, don't always do things in the right way in this sense. That I think, especially in Germany, good, decent people largely work silently in the background. They don't want to be known. That all of the most magical things that happen happen under the guidance of one of these public heroes or one of these more public figures, but that all of the work happens for people who want to be completely anonymous. How can you be completely anonymous and insert yourself into a situation of harassment? It's something that I, none of my German friends, the people that I confide in, the people that I'm very close to, know how to do. How do you shut down your friends? How do you shut down somebody bigger when they're not being excellent to somebody? If it's a new person or if it's somebody that you don't know or somebody that's in your space and invades your space and is not being excellent or is saying bad things, being misogynist, racist, homophobic, whatever, of course, it's easy to shut down a stranger. It's easy to tell them, hey, look, we don't tolerate that. Go away. That's not welcome here. How do you say that to somebody you look up to? How do you say that to somebody who's your hero? I don't have an answer to that other than... If you see a person who's not comfortable, who's being harassed, just tell the harasser, look, the person who is being harassed has made it clear that they would rather that you're not here right now, so I think you should probably go find somewhere else to be. And then how do you do that on a 15,000-person scale when a lot of the people who are around you don't know, when the whole purpose of gathering like this is to meet people you don't know? I don't have any ready answers. Now, of course, there's always the people who are silently in the background taking care of these things as they come up, as they find out about them. And in a 2,000-person conference, it's very easy for this small team of security people to know everything that's happening and to put stops to things as they see it and to do it very quietly and to do it without any kind of public attention or drama, to tap down the rumor mill. How do you do that at a 15,000-person event when you've got a team that's the same size as your 2,000 person event. And at the same time, these events don't function in hierarchical ways. It's not a cathedral-like environment. It's a bizarre environment to go way back to the cathedral and the bizarre element of it. And bazaars like this are very resistant to any top-down efforts to stop these things, which again is why the code of conduct or things like that that are the typical solution, which work well in other situations, sort of fail from the inception. And of course, they've failed very, in very public ways. And it's, you know, the reaction from some people are, Nick, we're never going to forgive you for your blog post. And that's fine. I don't, okay, maybe it's an unforgivable thing. All right. Okay. And then the reaction from, from other people is, oh, we're so sorry this happened to you, blah, 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 blah. But where's the reaction of, okay, the lesson was, if I see harassment happening, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to do, do the small thing that I can to help protect the people who are the target of abuse. That message never comes out. So I'm just 
I'm concerned about how all that's going to play out. And of course, on the social media, you have the people saying, we need a code of conduct, blah, 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 blah. And, the, and of course, the counter argument being, code of conduct will not work here, blah, 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 blah. And the energy gets lost in the argument as opposed to getting poured into the solution, which is, hey, this is everybody's responsibility to take care of this. I thought the blog post that went up on the CCC events website talking about the security team and the awareness team was a was a good first step. But even that blog is a as this whole thing has gotten bigger is an official voice you know whereas before any i mean when i started with this thing they gave me a blog post account like oh hey if you have something interesting throw it up on there we always are looking for new stuff now it's much more tightly controlled and vetted and reviewed because one wrong thing gets thrown up there Ooh, it's like the netflix tweet about they're trying to be funny saying to the person yeah. who watched this thing 47 times, are you okay? Now, I can see the humor in that. <laughs> this is my problem, is that I always try to look look at where, look at what the person who wrote the thing was thinking at the time and compare that to the response. I mean, I get into, I get into trouble for this all the time on Twitter. I read a tweet and I view it as one thing and I retweeted or put something out in support and ambulance it's funny that that was in a room ambulance I think I know the driver of that <laughs> and people my, what I'm thinking is definitely not what everybody else is thinking about it yeah I lost a friendship over that I don't know how I'm going to recover that friendship but I trust in the chaos Despite all of this, I trust that some kind of solution or resolution that you will never be able to wrap your hands around, that you won't be able to touch, that you won't be able to really identify, will come to the surface and things will be okay. But that's a leap of faith. That's not, I don't have any evidence to support that other than blind faith. And that's what I'm worried about going into this. And I, I see, I, I empathize with everybody involved with the response to all of these things. The people who say that the blog post was a mistake, that you have to apologize for it. I totally see that point. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I'm still working with people on how to do that. But how do I do that and not excuse the harassment? Hell if I know. And that's the thing, if nothing happens at the 34C3, if it's just another, hey, everything was a success, we made it, blah, 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 blah. It, people will think that that's the way it was always supposed to be. You don't have a landmark event with a lack of a crisis. And everybody's trying to prevent the crisis and the chaos. All right, can I, can I go not dark now? <laughs> So I'm looking forward to going to help. I'm looking forward to helping set up the thing. Looking forward to bringing the steel-toed boots that I wore throughout this whole crisis into building stages and sets and things, whatever they need help building. And I have a lot of experience in that. So I'm looking forward to going to do that. I'm also looking forward to running my post office, which I haven't announced as publicly as of the time of the recording this podcast. It's the, it, and this is a weird thing. I used to run the post office at Burning Man, and I'm trying to bring back that same thing to the Congress. 
this is a 15,000 person event. When you have a city of 15,000 people, there's a post office, isn't there? Yeah. You have to have a way of sending things into it and sending things out of it. And that's what I plan on doing. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work. I know that we're going to have postcards and people are going to be able to send postcards to wherever from the Congress and hopefully receive postcards and other bits of mail at the Congress and send it out as appropriate. I'm hoping that people will bring things from hackerspaces, leave them at the post office and say, hey, it's your problem to deliver all this stuff. <laughs> and to get volunteers, random volunteers, not yeah. angels. Yeah. Because angels do work. Getting a couple of pieces of mail and then going on a scavenger hunt to find the people that they belong to <laughs> is more like a self-guided tour uh -huh. of the 34C3 than it is an actual service. Now, of course, you're providing a service, but... People who go deliver mail at these events are, if their hearts are open to it, seeing sides of the event that they would not otherwise see if they were just an attendee wandering by. Okay, now I want to go. Now I want to go and get that with you. It, it's, I don't know how it's going to work. Yeah. It's coming together at the very last minute. I'm not in Germany. There's people there who are doing a lot more work for it than I am. I'm going to spend my time that I'm visiting my parents between now and the Congress working on getting it up and running when I should have been getting it up and running now, but I was too busy digging out archaeological artifacts from building collapses here. And other things, like I tweeted today, the, oh, another building collapse. Or another thing, another, another person with my number saying, hey, can you come look at my house? I, I've had to, I had, I, in the past couple of days, I've just had to say no. I've had to stop taking calls, stop being responsive, stop that. My therapist said, no more. I've been doing my best to try to do that. I can't help it inside my building. Stuff's falling apart in my apartment building and I go fix it. Another friend of mine who I just met had needed help installing a water filtration system in his house. So I helped him install a water filtration system in his house. But back to the post office at the Congress, I, I'm looking forward to that and seeing how it's going to work and seeing if that will be a force for trying to bring people together. Uh -huh. Another room ambulance, I don't know what's going on here. I've been talking for a while, it's your turn. I don't have much to say, but the idea of having people deliver stuff, whatever it will be, to other unknown people, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Having a task like that would me uh, help me, for example, definitely be more talkative, to talk to people more because I have a purpose. I can talk to people, look for people, and then when I get there, I can talk to them and talk about uh, with them about what I have been delivering. So just one question to finish this up, because I have struggled with that. I still struggle with that. I don't know how to talk to people, how to talk to people, I don't know. But maybe there's people out there who've listened to you or who've seen you and want to talk to you about whatever. What is, what is the easiest way to just to talk to you? What's, what's the least intimidating way to go to someone and talk to them because to me that's scary 
And I know that for a lot of people, that's scary to talk to someone. It, it's scary for me. I have no idea how to do it. That was one of the most terrifying things about coming to Mexico was going to these networking events where I knew nobody. If I walk into a room and I don't know anybody and nobody recognizes me and I don't have any point of entry, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. I'll last 15 minutes, wander around and, and just leave in terror. I've done that. When I moved to Mexico, I now, now granted there was also the whole language barrier, but even if people were speaking in English, I, I don't know how to just smooze, just schmooze in a room with people I don't know. We're all in the same I've, boat. I've gotten, I've, well, I've gotten so used to, was there a point in time in my life where I was good at that? I think so. If I had a mission, for example, this is why I love icebreakers. Everybody hates icebreakers. I love them. I love icebreakers. If I have a mission or something to do, I'll approach anybody that I think can help me with my... Alvaro Bergón, for example. Yeah. It, you could be like the HNIC. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna elaborate. Go go Google it. It's yeah. it's pretty obvious. But unless I mean, if you go googling anything, makes it obvious. But I'll go to the HNIC and chat them up. Just like, hi, I'm so and so. I'm doing this. I need to get this thing done. Do you know who I can go talk to? Yeah. But how do you do that at a party where there is no mission when you're just supposed to meet people? I have no idea. Which is another reason why I'm always ready to talk to people. If somebody comes up to me and starts talking to me, mm -hmm. I'll respect that. Because I know I, I'm vaguely aware of the courage it takes to go to a famous person. And, but famous person, people are also I mean, famous. We're talking relative <laughs> levels of fame here, of course. Like the, every, every community of a few thousand people has its well-known people that... There's the approachable ones and there's the unapproachable ones. And I hope I have a reputation for being an approachable one. If somebody approaches me, I'm going to honor that interaction, honor the leap of faith that it takes. Just to give a person a little bit of confidence, go do that with somebody that they don't know. To answer your question, I, I don't have a good idea, which is another reason why the post office, as I envision it, as I hope it will work out, is so great. Okay. Because you have a mission. You have this postcard. And you're in an environment where everybody is predisposed to helping you accomplish what you want to accomplish. But in a regular social setting, what are you trying to accomplish? You can't say, my goal here is to meet as many people as possible. You shouldn't have a goal in a social setting. How do you have a goal at a party? I mean, I, I have goals at parties. If, I, if I'm at a party, even if I know the people and I'm, I, I, I'm, for just whatever reason, I'm not clicking with whatever the conversation is, I'll just go in the kitchen and wash dishes. It's the Bill Murray approach. I'll, I'll wash dishes, I'll tend bar, I'll go cook. And I, I like doing that. I don't know another way to be. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the worst social person there is. I am not a social creature. For as much as I'm a social creature. I like performing, but you can't... That, that's not real. Performing for people isn't real interaction. How, how was your hot chocolate? It was good. It was very good. To talk about something positive? Yeah, no, the, yeah. I, I had a hot chocolate myself yeah. to sort of take away the effects of all of this caffeine that I've been drinking, but yeah, it's, it's good.
And then so, I'm, now I'm now I'm going to end on a on an odd note. I'm heading over to Rancho Electronico to yeah. their assembly, which also happens on Tuesdays. The meet on Tuesdays standard is truly international. The yeah. German standard <laughs> went international. And but unfortunately, they're going to decide whether or not they're going to continue in this their present space. So, so we, we have lots of things, so much tension loading up in this podcast to see what happens in the next episode. What happens when Nick comes back <laughs> from thirty four C three? What's gonna? You know, okay, if I'm not so dead now. After hearing the the post office uh, idea, I I really want to go. I'm envious of everybody who's going. Next year, next year I will be back. Um, I well, I can say to everyone who wanted to talk to Nick for whatever reason, who wants to criticize the podcast because the audio quality sucks, and we only talk about Mexico. I'll, I'll take full responsibility for the poor quality of the audio. Well, you can't. You can't. I can. I can. I can take. I mean, you it's can't. not. It's not my fault. But that, I'm just so used to taking responsibility for things that are not my fault in Mexico that I just feel it's the appropriate thing to do. Uh. Come, hate, Go, hate on me. Send send hate tweets my way. Do not send them to flow underscore fx. Flow fx underscore. Oh, flow fx yeah. underscore. No, actually, yeah, send no. them to flow underscore <laughs> fx. Whoever that guy is. Yeah, go to Nick. Talk to him. Uh, give all the, the praise sent to me. Uh, because I need that. And, yeah, have, have, have a good time in Leipzig. And, and enjoy the beach. I will enjoy the beach so much. You know what we should try to do? You should try to catch me on the 23rd. Okay. After I've been helping set up for a couple of days. Yes. Yeah. Just to see how I feel about stuff. To okay. get that snapshot to get that snapshot recording. It'll be our first transcontinental transcontinental podcast. Okay. Which, of course, is going to be a huge nightmare. How do you figure out how to do that? How do no, you, it's easy. Oh, oh okay. All right, it's great. easy. All right, if it's so easy, then yeah, <laughs> let's do well, it. You know, there's these Germans, <laughs> German podcasters. They figured it out and make it, made it really easy. Yes, yes, but have you done it? It's always... Yes. You, you, yes. Oh, you have? Yes. Oh, okay. I've been living right. here for three and a half years, and I've done 10, 15 transcontinental oh. podcasts. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So we're going to so do let's that. See what happens. Yeah, we should do that. So, so that's something that's a good that's a positive note to end Very on. Very positive.